It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. We talk about food, we talk about eating it, preparing it, how it's grown. But then the categories of food, we've talked about meat, livestock, you hear about row crops, you hear about fresh fruits and vegetables. But now I could argue that one of the most important foods that we have for many different reasons, one is stretching the budgets, but also good nutrition too, that's always overlooked or often overlooked are what we refer to as pulses. And if you're like me, when somebody talks about checking a pulse, they're thinking about to figure out whether or not your heart is beating. Um, but it actually has something to do with edible seeds that are in little pods that are kind of protected mother nature's wrapping of these products and, and an incredible powerhouse of nutrition that's important to uh, countries, important to just lots of people. And in addition, like I said, stretches the budget and addresses good nutrition. So we're going to talk about pulses. We're going to talk about uh, remove the mystery a little bit and include beans and lentils. And I'm really happy to have the right guy for that today to visit with me. And it's so I want to welcome the vice president of the Pulse Division of Columbia Grain, Tony Rolos. Tony, welcome to Farm to Table Talk. Thanks for having me, Roger. It's it's great to be here. Hey, Tony, I always wonder when I have guests on the show. What happens when they get invited somewhere, they get into a group or a party or somewhere else, and uh, they have to explain what they're doing, but especially so, I think, when you're the vice president of a Pulse division. So I, I would imagine you've been into some situations before where you weren't necessarily around people in agriculture or growing beans. Do they sometimes scratch their head and say, whoa, whoa, wait, explain that to me. What's a, what's a pulse division? They certainly do. It's it's kind of interesting when I get into a group of people like that and it's you do the round table, what everybody does, and everybody can answer it in less than 10 seconds. Whereas I have to I have to take almost a full two minutes to explain exactly what my job is and what we do and, and what a pulse is. I kind of have to start there and 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 go up. And so, you know, I, I usually start with that. It's it's uh a pulse is a dried pea, a lentil, or a chickpea, and it also encompasses the edible beans, which is pintos, black beans, navy beans, small red beans, and I can go on and on and on about all the dried beans that there are available. And so our company, Columbia Grain, um, the division that I work in, we've uh, we've grown a lot over the last 30 years with with the growth in these pulse crops. And we uh, what we do is we have facilities stretched across the uh, Washington, Idaho, Montana, North Dakota, down in Nebraska, where these crops are grown. We work with several thousand farmers that are growing these crops in this area. We buy the crops from the producers, work directly with producers with the crops. We bring them into our processing facilities, which we have nine of those facilities. And what these are, they're really highly advanced cleaning facilities where we take product from coming off the farm and we take away all the foreign material. We take away all the... Um, all the broken seeds, all the damaged seeds, any any seeds of another kind, we remove all of that from the product and we get this nice 
good quality, clean product then that that can go straight into a bag on a store shelf or it can go into a can or it can be broken down into a, into a further into a pea protein or a flour or, or any of these, uh, these products. Um, so that's kind of what, our, what we do. And we, we work with customers both domestically and then we also export to over 60 countries around the world. Well, you know, you mentioned that you clean them up, but one thing, Mother Nature cleans your product up more than a lot. I mean, your products come wrapped, you know, is, did I get it right that part of the definition of a pulse is that it's like edible seeds within a pod. So when it's out in nature, it's, it's wrapped very, very carefully. (laughs) It is wrapped very carefully. And, and um, at, at harvest time, our producers will, will take their harvesters out and it's very similar to like a, a soybean process where you, they, when they harvest it, they take that pot off and then they remove the, get the seed out. And then the seed is a, it's a hard seed. So it's a hard pea, it's a hard lentil or hard chickpea. It's dried out. It's got low moisture content. And then, uh, and then they, they sell it to us and we further clean it from there. But it's kind of interesting with, with how dry the seeds are. It, it's what gives them their, their power in terms of shelf life. Um, we guarantee a lot of times two plus years for shelf life, but we've seen them last a lot longer than that in terms of storability. And, and really they can last a long time and they can last a long time in a pantry on a store shelf. And with a lot of the countries we work with going into second world countries, and then we work with the world food program going into third world countries with this product. And it can last a long time in these, in these areas where, where food isn't necessarily readily available. And so it works great like that. It's got a great shelf life to it. Well, saying the food isn't necessarily readily available is an understatement right now. There's so much uh, concern uh, about possible food shortages. Um, I think it's a long time before we run out of food in any supermarkets that we're used to going to in the States. But there's there's several, maybe a half dozen or more countries that face extreme cases coming up right now of, of food shortages. And and no doubt about it, I'm sure that that beans will will play a, a play a role. And in, and in fact, I'm I'm tempted to skip ahead to to this of the role that they do play in programs, you know, such such as uh, programs that I think is at section 32. I've got my numbers right. Um, yeah, that yes. that. Um, we have SNAP, we have other programs here in the States, and there's also United Nations has programs too to try to make you know, good nutrition available to people that are otherwise, either for one reason or another, facing potential starvation without having food products or, or just plain hunger, which uh, we have here in the United States as well. So where do your products fit in trying to supply the needs for these programs? So our products have a huge, huge place in this moving forward. Um, they really, they really fit the bill from from three different uh, three different perspectives. Um, number one in this uh, in this arena that we're in today, where we are facing heavy inflation and particularly heavy food inflation, both in the U.S. and around the world, um, our products play a big part of that because they're they're a relatively cheap source of uh, of protein. Um, both uh, both domestically and around the world. And that's where they fit both into the private sector um, and also the these food programs. And they work so well in these food programs because they allow places like the World Food Program, places like the U.S. government through Section 32, which is a program working product into U.S. food banks, where they can go and buy large quantity or large quantities, excuse me, of food products that are 
very close to be ready to eat with a pulse. All you need to do is add water and let it soak for 18 to 24 hours. And you can take a, take the product and get into a ready to eat mode. And they can buy large quantities of this product that that's also really highly nutritious. It's a very good source of plant-based protein. It's a high source of fiber and uh, it has a, it has a decent calorie content too. It's a very, very good nutritious product that, that people can eat and people can, uh, can store for a long time as I already covered. And, and that's where it really fits in um, to these government programs from that side. And the second part is it's easy to trans transport. Um, it stores for a long time as we covered. And uh, the third part, that I means the nutrition part of it, where it's, it's a very nutritious product, um, very high in, fi- in protein, high in fiber, um, and is overall a great nutritious product that fits into a lot of different recipes. And there's more and more creative ways that are coming out to make use of these products and to work them into, uh, into daily meals. You know, it, it's really exciting. And when you start thinking about all of the problems that we do face right now, and uh, people are trying to you know, extend their budget and get protein into their diets that otherwise might be missing, uh, that they can add, like you say, can add beans and they can stay forever and they can keep them in the cupboard and have them available and make up a, a lot of it and, and, you know, have it be part of meals for, you know, several days every every week. Uh, that's, that's really feeling, filling an important need. Uh, but the other thing is that there's no sacrifice on protein. I mean, one of the things Tony, I've noticed is that when you look at the blue zones around the world, uh, one of the things that pops up and when they refer to the blue zones, they're talking about the places that have the most people that live past 100 and, and pulses seem to be one of the things they all have in common. Uh, you know, here's some other things about they can use a Mediterranean diet and so forth. But the part that doesn't get as much attention as I think it probably should is that in, in all of those diets, you know, pulses are so important, the beans and lentils and, and so forth. So it's not only that we're getting a, a product available to people that you can produce and it's not as expensive, but that quality of the protein it offers a diet is is really impressive. Yeah, absolutely it is. I mean, uh on top of that, you're getting that protein without without any bad uh any bad things that come along with it. I mean, there's no trans fats, there's no added sugar there's there's nothing to that regard that's coming with that protein it's it's just a great source of of plant-based protein coming in that in that pulse well and and if you if you are wanting to use meat you can put some meat in if of course i mean it, it works really well um if you add lentils to a chili that has a meat in it or you can utilize some interesting recipes with your Instapot that, that can combine the two of them. It, it works really well to complement a meat as well as just a standalone protein on its own. You know, I come from territory and I think you kind of do too, that we think of as being the, you know, the corn and soybean country, but you were describing at the beginning of our conversations where the, your, your members, where the beans are, are produced. Is that kind of a pulse belt across the the northern tier of of states in the United States? 
It really is. It, it really father. It, it follows that northern tier from eastern Washington all the way to, to North Dakota. And it's actually it's it's really interesting. I can I can tell you the story of how pulses really got started in the U.S. Um, a lot of farmers in this area, they're traditionally wheat farmers, and the reason they grow wheat is because the ground that they farm is is a little bit of a sandier soil. It doesn't get quite as much moisture as our friends in the Midwest do, and so they. Corn and soybeans traditionally do not work very well on this ground because of the because of just the lack of rainfall and and the uh, the sandier nature of the soil that they're farming in, and so for years and years and years, a lot of farmers in this area they would rotate their wheat with summer fallow, and summer fallow is is they don't plant anything on the field, and so they'll plant they would plant wheat they would lead the field fallow for a year to retain moisture and retain nutrients. And then they would plant wheat again the following year. And what a lot of these farmers found is that when they started introducing a pulse to this crop is that they could rotate wheat with a pulse. And because pulses have such a great regenerative effect on the soil, they have uh, they have a very large root system that deposits nitrogen in the soil and uh, they use very little water. And so they actually leave the, the soil in better shape than they found it after after you raise a pulse. And so what they were able to do is they were they were able to work pulses into these crop rotations. And because of this, they were able to sustain the way of their farming by using less fallow land and they're able to get more crops on their land. And it helped them um, get better revenue for their farming practices and also introduce uh, introduce these pulse crops into this area. So it's kind of a neat story. Oh, no, it's a, it's a great started. story. You know, and, and I didn't realize that. It makes sense. I mean, in some places, you know, they're pursuing double cropping. In, in this particular case, you're just trying to make sure you get annual cropping. And by mm -hmm. being able to put that into the rotation, and that makes perfect sense. Now, I know soybeans, they talk about its uh, ability to fix nitrogen. Um, is there nitrogen fixing capabilities with pulses in general? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They're, they're similar to a soybean in that regard and probably even more so in, uh, in the regards to fix nitrogen back in the soil. And we so, see for Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm just oh, no anxious. To, uh, I think a lot of people, uh, some of the eyes are glazing over and said, let's talk about nitrogen or and nitrogen <laughs> fixing. But when they talk about fixing, you're, you're really, in a way, taking the nitrogen, which occurs naturally in the air, and converting it into a form that can be used by the plant, um, which is otherwise, they might be using anhydrous ammonia, which is produced with a great deal of, of natural gas and has kind of other issues of, of potential runoff and so forth if you don't get it just exactly, exactly right. So it's, a, it's an intriguing solution that most people don't think about. Do I have that halfway right? No, absolutely. It, it really, what it is at, at, at its base is it's a, it's a natural fertilizer is what it's providing into the, into the soil. And so it, it, we find that farmers that will plant wheat after they plant a pulse crop will get a yield benefit on their wheat um, from planting it after a pulse crop because the pulse, the pulse crop naturally um, fixes nitrogen fertilizer into the, into the field that provides a bonus for, uh, for the crop being grown after it. Well, one of the things that happens is that as, as you come in with a wheat crop and so forth, that it's very dependent on having a healthy microbial community. So these little microbes, are, it's another one that I think people get confused about, but these, these microbes do a job in feeding, 
feeding the plant, that they're they're out there and kind of pulling in nutrients and helping bring it back into the plant. A crop of pulses, what effect do they tend to have on the on, on the microbiome? I haven't done a lot of research, Roger, on that, but I would imagine with their root system that they they put into the ground, it would have a positive effect on the microbiome of the soil, just given that they leave a lot of roots in the ground and they leave a lot of nitrogen in the ground and they they uh, provide a, a I would imagine a healthy habitat for the uh, for the for the microbiomes um, yeah. for the for the following crop. Well, and then you were talking about the root system that they they've got in the ground, uh, and and I guess. Um, so what happens when the wheat comes in? Is it uh, is there no till or is it minimum till that that if you follow a pulse crop with a wheat crop? It's it's very very no till to slightly minimum till. Uh, a lot of farmers use a no till practice when following a pulse crop with wheat. Yeah, the pulse crop pulses they don't leave a lot of. Uh, especially a lentil or uh, or an edible bean they don't they don't get very tall they don't have a lot of uh, vegetation growth above the soil necessarily and so you know it, it really it's really easy to follow those crops up with another crop using a, using a no to minimum till practice you know i i wonder how much that word is getting out i just was watching a house agriculture committee hearing and they were talking about uh the importance of making progress and addressing climate change and carbon sequestration and so forth and and now i speak you after i was just listening to that i'm wondering how many of those congressmen people house ag committee and others that are concerned recognize the the good work that's happening. I mean, you're talking about a tier of states and production practices that I suspect um, aren't that well known. Um, you must have either your company or organizations that are trying to spread the word of, of what you're doing and what you're um, that is useful and helpful and supportive of, of the climate, I, I would guess. Oh, absolutely. I mean, our, our company is, is working on that. And a lot of our, our Congress, uh, people from, from these States that grow a lot of pulse crops are aware of it and, and they, they push it on the natural level. And then on top of that, we have, uh, we have the U S dry pea and lentil council, which is, which is our board that helps promote pulse crops. And we have the U S dry bean council that helps promote bean crops. They're both working tirelessly to try to get the word out there to try to increase consumer awareness of these crops and trying to increase, um, the information about the benefits of these crops and with a lot of the the challenges that we we do face on a on a on some of the things that you talked about you know pulses are really really part of the answer and part of the solution and really have a lot of positive benefits to offer in that regard you know i think it's it's looking long term if you look at climate um no matter what we do apparently climate's going to keep probably is going to keep changing and and with that, some of the other crops are feeling like if you look down the road, we'll we'll probably see the production areas shifting somewhat. And if if it held true for pulses as uh, as it's being projected in other crops, I'm aware of, you would suspect that there'd be some more production taking place in Canada. You know, if you're looking down the road decades ahead, uh, does there any talk about that of? of what might be growing areas, which you could, I guess, one way of saying it, it's, it's not like the silver lining to climate change, but it just, if climate does keep, keep warming up that, uh, that areas that could produce them pretty efficiently might be moving a little bit more North. 
Yeah, we, we've certainly seen Canada has has had a large growth of pulse crops over the years, um, fought along with the U.S. Um, it's very similar farming practices when you go north of the border from our growing regions. Um, but where we've really seen really positive growth in the U.S. is in uh, is in the western Corn Belt region, um, western Kansas, western Nebraska, and and eastern Colorado. These areas are very similar to to Montana or eastern Washington, where they're traditionally wheat farmers, and they've been able to work a lot of these pulse crops into their rotations down there and cut down the amount of fallow ground they're using. and And we're working with a lot of producers in this area to help find markets for their for their crops and help find help them with their uh, with their practices and help them increase their acres and, and increase the revenue of the farm, but at the same time, work to get more product off of the soil that they're working on to help feed uh, feed the hungry world. Well, that makes a lot of sense because those areas that you're talking about, uh, they've got water concerns, they've got other issues, they're trying to make sure that they are sequestering more carbon too and all, all of these things. So I would suspect that'd be a big frontier. So your mm-hmm. company, your industry, has an opportunity to to grow. How do you help that along? Um, do you work with the extension service in those states or the land grant universities, or do you org- have producer meetings? Um, how are you spreading the word to help encourage these you know wheat farmers in in many cases um, get more pulses worked into the rotation? It's really all of the above. It's it's uh, it's having having producer meetings, being able to work with uh, the extension agencies, the uh, the local universities, um, and then on top of that, it's being able to have uh, have markets for these producers to to sell their products to all the time, and have a place where they can if they grow if they grow a lentil or they grow a they grow a yellow pea, they have somewhere where they can sell it and where they can market and where they're they're going to be able to get uh, a good partner to work with to help with their crop uh, to help them help them get paid for what they're growing and get paid for what they're doing to be profitable. Yeah. And so I, I guess when I, when I think of that process, I want to go back to the fact that you get organizations for the industry that work on it. I suspect that uh, at least one of the organizations have, must be doing things as far as government relations or talking to uh, like a house ag committee that I was just listening to and so forth. And is there also a separate organization that's doing advertising and research and promotion and possibly funded by a checkoff of some sort? The U.S. Dry Pea and Lentil Council is is the big organization for pulse crops that's that's doing all of that, and they're funded by a checkoff, and they're they're working with with Washington, and they're uh, they're trying to help promote pulse crops. Um, you know they they work very hard and they're very passionate about what they do. And they're, they're always looking for new ways that they can push pulse crops and, and grow our footprint. And um, they do some really interesting things with their domestic marketing, um, trying to work to provide recipes to the broader public and working with various chefs on how they can work pulses into their meals and trying to educate people on the, uh, on the positive benefits of pulses and eating pulses. Well, now the checkoff programs that exist to support those promotions, are they um, mandatory state or, or national or are they voluntary checkoffs? Um, I believe they're mandatory checkoffs at the moment mm-hmm. here to help push uh, push pulse crops for the for the farmers and help push new markets for the for the producers. So at some point in time, there was enabling legislation, either federal or, or a series of, of states that the farmers got to vote on whether or not they would assess themselves to be able to support promoting the product. And then does an organization like yours uh, collect the assessments from, from the farmers that you're working with? 
Yeah, we work with the farmers. We work with the board to ensure that the checkoff is being being taken and, and, and passed mm-hmm. on. And uh, we uh, we work with the board a lot, you know, on on the marketing side of things, um, and and help them. We kind of help each other um, along with other companies that do what, what we do, and uh, try to work to find better revenue and better marketing sources for these producers, and uh, and help help increase that the prices that they're getting back to them at the end of the day. Well, I'm uh, I'm sure that you would. I'm sure you would need to be able to help them. And because you're out there on the front line, I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. to uh, potential customers and you've got that experience. So if you, you look out there at the market end now, let we shift to that. Um, how much of what we produce is exported and, and what share would be used here within the United States? So uh, it, it depends a lot on the crop size in the U.S. And so in a, in a typical year, we see as much as 40 to 50 percent of our crop get exported to various countries around the world. And then 50 to 60 percent of that crop stays home in the U.S. For, for consumption. And we've seen that consumption in the U.S. rise a lot over the last uh, last 10 years specifically. I mean, we've seen the rise in, in hummus, for example. We've seen more lentil consumption. Um, and the big ones that we're really seeing now that are really exciting is is there's three new ones here that have really popped up in the last five years and taken a big hold. And um, the first one is, is pet food. We've seen a lot of pulses work into pet food. Um, you see dry peas or you see lentils, you see chickpeas used in pet food. And a lot of that's, that's pulses that come in. And, you know, the pet food industry is, is really gone to that. And they've, they've tried to replace other, uh, other ingredients that they were using into diets with pulses. And it, it helps provide a, uh, um, a different nutrition to, uh, to pets. And, uh, and it's really a good way of pushing these plant-based products into the, into the pet market, into, into pet food, into dogs specifically is where a lot of them are, are going into. And it's been a really neat market over the last few years to see, see this rise in these, uh, these consumers that are, that are really caring about their pets and want to make sure their pets are getting a really healthy diet. And so we've seen that rise. And then we've seen, uh, we've seen pea protein isolate rise, um, as we've seen a lot of push in the industry to replace, um, other isolates, um, you know, with, uh, with this pea isolate. And so it's been really neat to see that grow with the beyond meats and everything that's been happening to see the rise in that over the last few years. And then the the third one is the big push into pulse-based pastas, which is a really, really cool, uh, uh, thing to see is that we're seeing more and more chickpeas and lentils and um, edible bean-based pasta meals and dishes um, that are being cooked. And we see uh, new things in the uh, in the store shelves, um, primarily using chickpeas or lentils or yellow pea pasta. And so it's been a really cool market to see grow here um, the last few years specifically to see more people going that way. And um, certainly it provides some health benefits versus traditional pastas in terms of higher protein, higher fiber, lower glycemic index. And it's uh, it's it's a really neat way to see these pulse crops being able to be worked into more diets and, and have more uses than, uh, than just eating them as, as whole, whole seeds. Well, and even in milk-like categories, I have to say like yeah. milk-like, because I know my friends that are dairy farmers get a little defensive when, when <laughs> you start talking about milk and saying, well, it has to come from a cow, but, but there's, there's a lot of products that are beverages that are milk-like products that in, include mm-hmm. some, some made with uh, peas and, you know, everything. Yeah. It's quite yeah, a frontier. It's- 
It really is. And, and we've seen those pop up too. And a lot of them use, uh, use pea protein or other products with, uh, with pulses in them. And so it's been a really, it's really neat to see just everything that they're doing with these crops now and see this, see this rise in these alternative uses for, uh, that are, that are featuring, uh, the crops that we've been working with for, for several years. Is, uh, are is GMO or CRISPR technology utilized, uh, for, um, you know, for some of the breeding programs? So pulses are really unique and edible beans fall into this too, where they're, uh, they're crops that are, that are raised without GMO. It's uh, there's no known GMO varieties of pulse or edible bean crops being raised in the U S today. Um, everything is all non GMO and has been throughout its history. And so it's, it's really neat to be able to market a crop and just say, well, everything's non GMO or we're inherently non GMO versus, uh, versus other crops I know have to specify. And there's, uh, there's different programs that are being run, but it's, it's really nice to be involved with the program where we're just an all, we're just entirely non GMO. And we've always been non GMO. Well, it's interesting uh, because uh, obviously with soybeans, um, you know, the majority of what's produced in the United States is is GMO. Uh, it seems it's worked well for, for them. And then we've got mm-hmm. new technologies on the horizon, too, that with this CRISPR technology that will be different than um, GMO. But there's uh, but still, a lot of people have the questions right now. And the fact that you're able to still say that you're just using conventional breeding techniques to be able to get what you're and, and maybe I should go back and ask you that question in particular. I mean, are is there progress being made in the genetics? Um, if you're not using GMO, what um, what improvements have you have you seen in, you know, in genetics that are available for the various pulse products? You know, absolutely. We've seen improvements over the years in, in genetics and a lot of them are more your traditional plant breeding genetics that are that are used to be able to do that. And we've seen um, a lot of progress being made in increased yields, um, a lot of progress being made in increased quality is a big one that we've had. It's uh, people look at a chickpea, they look at a pea and they want a very nice quality pea that they're they're going to buy in a package. And We've been able to to utilize traditional breeding techniques to to make our pulses higher quality, um, and and that's really what the U.S. is known for is being able to produce very high quality pulses. Is our our chickpeas look fantastic? You know, our green peas look really good, and same thing with our edible beans. It's uh, the U.S. because of our plant breeding genetics that we've used, we have very high quality product that we can we helps us really market really well um, in other places in the world where where that's a really high priority to them is how their product looks, and so. It's, it's really interesting and it's what's really separated us over the years and, and what's really helped our farmers out is being able to produce these high quality products and utilize that. Um, and so it's, it's been interesting. And then the other thing that we've seen really with, uh, with the growth in uh, pastas or, or flowers, excuse me, and, uh, and pea protein isolate is the, the research that's going in now into producing higher protein levels in, in peas and chickpeas and uh, being able to produce a higher protein crop that can work better into those markets. Uh, is there an organic segment of the industry? Yeah, there certainly is. There's there's an organic segment of the industry and um, there's several farmers that we work with that are organic farmers and uh, there's there's markets for organic lentils, organic peas. And um, it's been a growing segment as well as, as, uh, as the organic side of the industry. What do farmers either express concern about and on the other side of it, I think, what do they feel the most optimism about uh, to be a pulse producer? Um. 
they feel uh i think they feel really optimistic about where the industry is going and the and the new products that they're seeing for their for their crops i think it's it's really exciting for them to see see their pulses being able to be used in all these different ways and it really gives them a lot of confidence that the industry is growing and that the industry is here to stay and uh it, it gives them that that good feeling that they're their crops are being used in all these healthy solutions and all these healthy diets and they're in all these multifaceted uses. And so it really gives them that confidence to keep growing those products and that they're going to find new markets for those products and they're going to continue to see demand grow and they're going to continue to see good prices for those products because of that. You know, I think on the other side, from a worry standpoint, I mean, certainly, uh, certainly they're looking at, at their products compared to, other commodities out there that are more your your generic commodities, and they see what's happening in the global situation with food today. And um, you know, I think they're worried about if they can continue to plant pulses to the degree that they are, given the competitiveness of wheat and other commodities today, being able to potentially squeeze pulses out to to a degree. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, interesting opportunities and interesting challenges and and I, I guess I want to turn it back now to um, to you uh, Tony uh, um, give me a little uh, background on how one finds himself working in the pulse industry how did you how did you find yourself getting here and and what kind of brought you to to work with here the Columbia grain um you know for me it was really uh you know, I, I kind of, uh, I got into nutrition a lot in my adult life and, uh, I, I really, um, spent a lot of work, uh, trying to eat healthy and trying to find, um, healthier things to, uh, to put into my diet. And, you know, I discovered, discovered pulses, discovered beans and discovered how they could really help my nutrition. And, uh, not when the opportunity came up for me to, to kind of go from working in more of the traditional, um, crops to working in pulse crops, um, about five, six years ago, I was seeing the growth that was happening. I was seeing the future for these crops and that's what got me really excited to get involved with them. And so, um, you know, really it kind of comes from my background. It comes from, um, what I've tried to work in my personal life and then being able to combine that with, with what I'm doing for work is, uh, it was, it was a really good opportunity for me and that's something I'm really passionate about and something I'm still passionate about, um, five, six years into, into my career working on the pulse side. Well, it's it's great. I mean, I think that's what it's all about is to be able to find something that both you're passionate about, but that has such a great story, too. And speaking of the stories, uh, does your company uh, get involved in telling the stories of how the how it's produced? I mean, we keep hearing that more and more consumers want to understand where their products came from and how they were farmed. How do you address that curiosity from consumers on the products that, that you're involved with? So. One of the new projects that we're we're doing right now as a company is we're working on coming out with our own um, retail line of of products, and so we're working on these. Um, it's it Balance Bushel is the brand that we're working on, and, and we're a few months away from really coming out from a retail sector for this. But we want to be able to come out with a Columbia Grain branded product, and this is the highest quality product that we can find for our pulses and edible beans, and being able to push that directly to the consumer via e-commerce and via the store shelves. And so that's ultimately the goal that we want to get to. And, and beyond that, we're working to utilize technology to uh, to 
provide stories of where this product came from and, and help profile farmers and profile areas and uh, help make that connection via our website. And so our, uh, our bags have a QR code on them that links to our website where there's, you can find farmer testimonials and, and farmer stories about the producers that we work with. And you can also find recipes and there's a lot of good information we're trying to get together on this site. And so we're still a few months away from going live with this, but it's, it's certainly a big project that we're working on that we're really excited about. So can I look forward to someday going to um, going to a restaurant and the menu describes where they're sourcing things and that they might be describing, you know, your product and the farmers and the production practices, uh, you know, on the menu or maybe even in supermarkets that would uh, on the on the shelf with stories about how the food was how it was produced and that sort of thing. That's certainly what we're striving for and where we're trying to get to with the products today. I, and, um, you know, I think we're a little ways away, but I, I certainly think it's uh, we're getting closer and closer every day. And, and that's what we're trying to work for. And that's what we're trying, the visibility we're trying to give to the to the consumer. How do you respond when people say, oh, but when you do things like that, you're just greenwashing? <laughs> I've, I've definitely heard that term before. And, um, you know, I, I think... Uh, I think the the commitment that we're giving to it, and I think the um, to the degree that we're working with the farmer and the and the quality that we're trying to to push into this brand, I think uh, you know really helps us separate from from others and be able to really help uh, help push that down to the consumer and help and help with that. Well, when you talk about pushing it down to the consumer, I've been seeing some things that show that consumers, different age consumers, um, look at it a little differently. That in fact. Um, say if you start with boomers all the way down through Gen X, that um, uh, younger consumers right now seem to be so into this that they don't see this as a passing phase at all. That you know that that they just expect that's part of it. That they're going to be able to know something about farms and farmers and how it's how it's produced, and it's going to be one of those things. Uh, I'm sure you've done a lot of research on that. You're probably already doing focus groups and so forth to see, mm-hmm. you know, what is it they want to know about the product. And then I also suppose then that you have to go back to the farmers and say, you know, here's how we're trying to, we're going to be marketing your product and you should, you know, be, you know, proud of what you're doing and we're, we're bringing your story forward. So it's an interesting perspective at this stage when you're about ready to come out with a product that tells this production story, I would think. So do you, do you have a chance to, um, you know, see these focus groups or see the results of this research and see how the, your farmers are reacting to the, to the progress and to the promise of this new, new line? Yeah, you know, we, we see it on a broad group with the with the uh, a broad level with the focus groups, and we certainly see the excitement with the farmers. I think that's the big thing that we we really uh, that really gets us excited about the product is seeing how far excited the farmers get. And I think uh, when they they look at it and they they see the opportunity that they have to be able to uh, to work with us and be able to be part of what we're doing and uh, and help eventually being able to provide more value to them and uh, help tie their crops. And I think they they all kind of see the future and where where the where it's going to from a traceability standpoint and a sustainability standpoint. And they certainly want to be a part of that and get excited about it. 
Well, you know, in some places we talk about doing programs like this as saying that whether or not they can you know, actually walk the walk. In this case, I suppose it's like eat the beans. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> it like, really is. Uh, you know, do you, do you believe in what you're selling? And so, so do you feel the pressure on that, uh, that you have to be sure you're keeping, keeping up your end of it and, and keeping uh, beans and chickpeas and all these products into a regular rotation in your own diet? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a big part of a uh, big part of what I do, and it's uh, it's certainly a big part of what um, our our company does. Is we celebrate things like World Pulse Day by um, having various meals throughout our company to be able to to celebrate it. We celebrate World Bean Day, and uh, we try to we send out recipes on a weekly basis. We even came out with a company cookbook last year um, as a way to try to help our employees be able to incorporate more of this into into their daily lives. And so it's something we all believe in. And something that we we really see the the future in, and uh, and and it's it's really exciting to see our employees so passionate about this. Well, I I can see why they're passionate about it because you get a you get a tremendous product, and the story is just getting better, and it's going to help fill a need. Uh, I think around the world, obviously with with exports and and also you know again the nutritional impact of pulses can't be overlooked it's a great product and tony rolos uh, vice president of the columbia grain international good luck with what you've got planned i appreciate your being on farm to table talk yeah thank you very much for having me roger You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.